Parshas Mishpatim gets us into the world of interpersonal mitzvahs, especially, right? That vav, the famous vav at the beginning of the parsha, ve'ele, means that just as that whole tremendous matantur um, that happened at Har Sinai came from beyond this world, so too the different laws that we find in terms of an ox that gored an ox and what happens when someone steals those are also not coming from the same place as those other laws in the world. Those other laws in the world are coming from a desire for people to be able to kind of just function and get along. These laws are coming, obviously, with that purpose as well, but with much more, okay, that enables us to connect to something much more. And therefore, each of them has to be examined in a deeper way. We're going to try to take a look at something the Shemesh Mul did with two of the mitzvahs in the parsha, and he connects them in a way that seems puzzling. Okay, this parsha mentions the concept of a man who is sold as an Eved Ivri. Let's try slowly just to give a little bit of the background. When your fellow Jew is sold to you, why is he being sold to you? So Beisdin, in certain circumstances, will sell a ganav, a person who stole. Now, Geneva, and this will be important later, is stealing without your knowledge. It's not a mugger. It's someone who, in some type of tricky way, manages to get stuff away from you. So what we're um, trying to look at now is a puzzling connection that the Zohar Kodesh made that the Shemishmo mentions. This Jewish Evid, okay, we can call it slave if you want, but it's very, very different. In fact, even the laws for non-Jewish slaves are extremely different than the slavery that took place in the world. And that's important to know. I'll just give you a little pointer. If you look at the Rambam as to how non-Jewish slaves were to be treated, it is certainly not like the way Jews were, slaves were treated in the different places in history. We have, uh, we have very different laws. So the Zohar Kodesh connects the freedom of this Eved Ivri, the one who is sold, particularly the one who is sold. We're not talking about the one who sells himself because he needs money. We're talking about the one that Beistin sold because he stole money. He doesn't have the money to pay back. And instead he is sold. Now, it's important to mention that the top priority is that he will be sold to the person he stole from. Now, we kind of automatically rebel at that because we think, why in the world would I want some guy who ripped me off to come be working in my house? In a practical sense, it's really your best bet at getting your money back. This guy doesn't have money, and he stole your money. He went off to Las Vegas and burnt it all. But he's a strong guy. He can work. You might as well get six years of work out of him. The Tsar connects that seventh year. When his seventh year comes, he goes free. The Tsar Kodesh says, Begin kach, because of the Shavsahaaretz, the land resting in the seventh year, Bahahu Naicho Da'ara, with the same way that the land rests. So it's Rihu Avdin Naicho. This Eved needs also to rest. Begin kach, therefore, 
In the seventh year, this Evet goes free. Now, the Shemesh Shmuel says, we're talking about apples and oranges here. Because the seventh year of the Evet, when he goes free, is not talking about Shemitah. It's talking about the seventh year from when he was sold into slavery. If Shemitah comes on year three of his term, he doesn't go free. He keeps working. So why would the Zara Kodesh connect these two things? Okay, one has to do with seven. The other one has to do with seven. Is that enough? Obviously, there's something deeper going on here. As we approach this, I want to mention a very, very important line from the Shemish, from the Piyasetz Nerebi, the Chovetz Talmidim. He said, when the Torah tells us lists of things we're supposed to do, the Torah is not just telling us to do good, the Torah is telling us to be good. It's a huge difference. Okay, it means that when I take a look at the picture the Torah is painting with the mitzvah, it shows me the goal of what's happening with the mitzvah. Now, this is different than the discussions and sometimes arguments you have about what's called ta'meha mitzvahs, a taste of the mitzvah. There were different svarim in the Rishonim, right, that give, like the Sefer Achinuch is famous for every mitzvah gives, Mishosheh mitzvah, and it gives part of the reasoning, part of the benefits, part of what the mitzvah does for us. Here, we're not talking about um, a tam of the mitzvah, but we're actually trying to take a look at the reality that the mitzvah creates, how it's supposed to create that reality in us and in our world. So he starts off approaching this difficulty with the posuk, Okay, we know that posuk, we know Rabbi Akiva is saying with that posuk, this is a great general principle in Torah. Question is, why? Why is that aspect so connected? A klal gadol means that every detail of Torah is connected to it. How and why? So he quotes from the Svari Makadoshim, he says, deep inside, in our inner level, we are all really one entity. We've spoken about this before. The Shemishmo quoted it in Parshas Bashalach. Bechitzonius, on the outside, there are gufim mechulokim. There are different bodies. And therefore, we lose that sense of the fact that we're all one entity. Again, as I explained last time, it doesn't mean that we're not unique. We're not all vanilla. Each of us has our own particular flavor. And that, in fact, is reflected in the goof. It's reflected in the body. As Chazal said, right, that just as there's never been anyone that looks exactly like me, even identical twins, the parents spot the subtle differences in them. There never has been, there never will be. So too, inside, the deos, so too, we are unique. But we're unique cells in one body, okay? And that is something that exists in the inner world, in Pneumius. Therefore, he says, is going to be a key goal of everything in Torah. Because the Torah is guiding us to connect to the Pneumi, to the internal from our external world and to connect 
all of that together. He brings the following formula. The more that a person is drawn to chitzonius, to the external, so that person is distanced and separated from the other people. Okay, now let, let's qualify this a bit. Sometimes in modern kind of yeshivish slang, say somebody cares about chitzonius, that means they worry about how something looks, right? They, they, they like nice things. We're talking about something much bigger here. A person is supposed to take care of their appearance. A person is supposed to take care of their things. A person is able to have things that look nice. Having those things and using those things doesn't necessarily make a person chitzoni. Just as the person who wears rags and goes around schlumpy and doesn't take a shower, that doesn't make the person pnimi. That doesn't make the person internal. What it means is that if we don't realize that our true existence is in a spiritual reality that is affected by what we do in the outer level of reality. So then in the outer world of reality, there are separations. Just as my body contains me and your body contains you and those are separate worlds. So then in this world, the idea of separation is very easy to discover. The idea of connection is very hard to find. So the opposite side, when a person is connected to the pnimius, and the Shemi Shmuel uses an interesting word, ha-pnimius shebo, the pnimius inside of you. Okay, that's why, right, a person hearing this externally thinks, okay, so I just have to go up onto a mountaintop and have nothing and meditate, and I will love everybody and be connected to everyone and have a haftalarecha kamoch. That's not true. What it means is Bo inside of you is a portal, a gateway to an entire internal universe. And that's what you have to connect you. And that's where you meet all of your fellow Jews. In that place that you enter Bo, it's inside of you, but you have to enter it. Just doing the actions of kind of shucking off physicality isn't going to do it. So, Therefore, he says, becomes a litmus test. It becomes a measuring stick as to whether you've entered that inner world. He said, a person who's entered that inner world really senses the oneness. And therefore, you love all of those people. You're You're happy in their joy. You never met the person before. You may never see them again but they're experiencing some happy event in their life. You feel that with them. You feel their pain. Whether we're talking about the klal, the Jewish people in general in our state in the world, or large communities, or about the prat, about one individual. So why is it a klal gadol batara? He says, because that's your measuring stick. That is your litmus test as to whether you've entered that inner world. And when you're there, everyone's connected and everything is connected. So now let's try to take a look at how this affects the mitzvahs we're trying to connect, meaning Shemitah, which we're in right now here in Israel, and the Evid Ivri, who was sold by Basting for stealing, going free after six years. Shemitah 
is something that applies in Eretz Yisrael. Now, Eretz Yisrael is a place that was designed for Am Yisrael. Okay, we've mentioned this before, other nations become a nation from their land. Am Yisrael had to first take on the role of Am Yisrael, which we did at Matan Torah, and then there is a land which is designed for those people who will fulfill what it means to be Am Yisrael. And therefore, Shemitah is particularly in Eretz Yisrael. It's fascinating that the first Rashi in the Parsha, right, which says, if HaChodesh HaZelachem, right, the first mitzvah, so to speak, given in the Torah, has to do with Rosh Chodesh, why didn't the Torah start there? So Rashi brings, Koch Masov Higid La'amod, in case the nations of the world will say, Listimatem, you guys are robbers. You occupied Palestine, you've stolen a land that isn't yours. So we're supposed to be able to pull out Sefer Breshis and say, guess what, buddy? Look who created the world. Hashem created it, and he gave Eretz Yisrael to us. So buzz off. So I saw one Sefer that said, first of all, it seems ridiculous that people can really try to claim that, even though the world is doing it now all the time, right? But conquest by war really is something that exists in the world. If we were going to undo all the conquests of war that are there in the world, large parts of America would have to go back to basically the natives who were there first and same with every country. Conquest by war is recognized, right? And what type of answer is it to show people safer gracious? So I believe it was Rabbi Avram Shur was explaining that the conflict over Israel, the idea of listimatem is not that you stole a piece of real estate. It's that by taking the land of Israel and the land of Israel matching with you, you have now taken on the primary role in this world of ours, in this universe of ours. And that brings a certain jealousy, a certain anger. And this is a large part of the conflict that goes on between the connection of our people with this land and the way other nations relate to it. Okay, now the Shemitah, which is there, it comes to bring us to the internal connection that we have to the land and that we have to each other, okay? A land is one item. Eretz Yisrael is one item. It's true. It was divided up among the Shvatim, among the tribes. And it's true that individuals have their piece of land. And in fact, spiritually, the Svasema says that every Jew has a connection to four Amos of Eretz Yisrael. Everybody has their four Amos that are there. But you have to realize that every individual who has any type of ownership in Israel, whether it's a Shevet like Binyamin, I live in what would be Shevet Binyamin, I think, right? If they have their piece of the land, and if a person within Shevet Binyamin has his five dunams of the land, he can only have that land because he's part of Amisra. So therefore, that's so to speak specific ownership, and that which seems to divide up isn't true on deeper level. It's only there on the external level. So now comes the mitzvah of Shemitah, and it comes to teach us. It says, in reality, Kili kol ha'aretz. All of the land is mine. And I unite every grain of dust in this land. And I unite you. You are all connected as well. 
So the mitzvah comes to take away this external world of, I am the owner of this piece of land. I surround it with a fence and I lock you out. And in this year, what's supposed to happen, says the Shem Yishmuel, this is a year where we're supposed to unite and we're supposed to recognize the connection that we have with each other and we're supposed to dive deep into our internal world where that connection exists. That's what I meant in the beginning of the shir, that you have to take a look at what a mitzvah is telling us to be, not just to do. With all due respect, a lot of us, when we heard that Shemitah was coming, we started saying, oh, no, does that mean, you know, I'm going to have problems with eating this or eating that? Or, you know, what do I do with planting this or planting that or this heksha or that heksha? And when's it going to be over? And we're not looking at the big picture of what it's supposed to accomplish. And this is supposed to accomplish not just for the farmer per se. Shemitah radiates a message to all of Am Yisrael. Even those who aren't in Eretz Yisrael are supposed to absorb the message of Shemitah and to realize that the oneness of the land and the oneness of the people that join together on the land in Shemitah is the oneness that connects all of Am Yisrael. And in fact, the full, full aspect of Shemitah and Yovel is only when kol oleo, when all the Jews are here in Eretz Yisrael. Okay, so this is the message of what's happening with Shemitah. This is why Shemitah is so powerful. Because just as we said, it's a major principle in Torah. So too, Right, The idea of Shemitah, if we don't get it, if we abuse it, if we don't understand it, so that means that there's something major lacking in our approach to what it means to be a Jew. Therefore, the punishment that results is so harsh beyond what would seem to be the halachic grade of Shemitah. One who transgresses Shemitah transgresses a love, a negative commandment. There's no death penalty for it. There's no kores for it. But nonetheless, the Nevi'im said, because of it, Am Yisrael go into Golis. We have to go through that shock. If we live on this land, as if we're separated from each other, as if we're not connected in that way, we have to leave. Now, a person might ask, what good is that going to do? If the goal is togetherness, so how does scattering us out around the world right, and Jews are really all over the world, how does that make us more together? So in certain ways, as we quote often, the Svasema says, Golos comes from the word legalot, to reveal. If by living in Israel, we take the very land of Israel, and we use it to separate ourselves from each other, and we use it to divide us up, and we live externally on Eretz Yisrael, so then we're taking the land and utilizing it for exactly the opposite purpose that it came to us or that we came to it. And that has to be repaired by leaving and internalizing what we've lost and what we're supposed to have. What's fascinating is that sometimes in Golos, Jews do connect to that connection between each other more than when they're here in Eretz Yisrael many anecdotes that you can find from these Israeli travelers around the world sometime. There was a taxi driver I had years ago 
and we were driving. There was a lot of traffic. It was close to sunset. He said to me, he said, would you mind if I pulled over to put on tefillin? I said, no, please be my guest. Meter may have still been running, but whatever. It was fine. I was happy for him to take the time to put on tefillin. And um, while he was putting it on, he mentioned to me, he says, you know, when I started putting on tefillin, he said in Chutzlaretz. I, he started asking me where I was from. I told him I was from Boston. He said, oh, I've been in Boston. I tried, uh, he tried asking me, were you here? Were you there? Invariably, Israelis who travel usually have been to much more of America than I've been, even though I grew up there. And he was in America, he was in all sorts of countries. This was above and beyond even your usual Israeli traveler. So I asked him, how are you in so many places? He said, well, I worked for Zim, Zim. That's Israel's merchant marine, right? You see the big containers that get shipped around the world. Every country has a merchant marine. So he says, I worked for them and I went around to many countries. I said, what was your favorite? He said, my favorite country wasn't a particular country, but it was a particular type of event in a country. He says, sometimes we would come into port and they would let the local Jewish community know that there's a ship from Israel here. And all these people would come and the ladies would bake cakes and bring us nice things and they would welcome us. And I thought to myself, wait a second, these people don't know me. I don't know them. These people are probably never going to see me again. Why are they doing this? He said, and I felt so Jewish there, more Jewish than I ever felt growing up in Israel. And that was when I decided to start putting on tefillin. The golos is meant the galot. So many times that person is going around there. He's tripping around the world and he's seeing this, that, and the other. But then he realizes, but who am I and what am I connected to? And the joy that that Jew sometimes feels connecting with another Jew, finding another Jew. I once spoke to a guy who spent a long time going around India. And I said, what was your favorite part? He says, you know, in the Chabad house, and I forget where it was, they let me make Kiddush Friday night for everybody. Woo that was, I mean, he saw everything. He was up there, you know, in the Himalayas. He was doing this, that, and the other thing. That was the most powerful experience he had. It was an internal journey. It wasn't an external trek. He went deep, deep inside to open the gate and discover a world of connection that's beyond, deeper than what you can see in a National Geographic. So Gullus, in certain ways, is meant to get us to recognize that and to yearn for it and to want to return to the fact when we can be in the land and really connect in the way that we're supposed to to really have that Shemitah, and then the Shemitah is meant to radiate to all the six years in the world. Because even though the Torah does let us put a fence around our field and own our produce and sell our produce, the very fact that Shemitah exists, and we count every year towards Shemitah, just like we count the days of the week, Hayom Yom Rishon Lishabbos, you count a year, the first year to Shemitah, the second year to Shemitah. The understanding of the connection to the land and the land's connection to all of us is there throughout because of Shemitah. Okay, I'll just tell you one more story of the Golos of Jews. I, I thought this one just opened my eyes so much to what was happening. I was on a plane and uh, I got an aisle seat, which to me is a very important thing. In front of me, there was a fellow in the aisle seat in front of me and across the aisle from him, there was another guy. Now, somehow these two gentlemen had convinced the flight attendants to start serving them alcohol before the plane even took off. So they took off before the plane. 
and they were having a good time and they were laughing and they were getting kind of raucous. And uh, I wasn't paying that much attention to them. At some point, the guy who was sitting in the seat in front of me turned back to me. He says, did you hear that? He says, no. He says, did you hear what that guy called me? I'm kind of getting the alcoholic fumes in the face. I say, no. He said, I happened to mention that I'm Jewish. And he started making fun of me. He started making fun of Jewish mothers. He started asking me where I hide my money. He said, if we weren't on a plane, I would punch his lights out. And he said to me, I may not be Jewish like you, but he started unbuttoning his shirt. He says, but I wear a mezuzah every day. And he kept talking to me a bit and I comforted him. And then he fell asleep and we went for the rest of the plane trip. So I thought to myself, what was going on here? A Jew was out there in the world and he was having a good time with a non-Jewish fellow. They were drinking, they were partying. And then he got a patch. Then his Jewishness somehow set off something in this other person and he was rejected. He looked behind him and he saw me looking identifiably Jewish, so to speak. And he knew that he could come to me. And he knew that we were connected. And he knew that I wouldn't reject him because we really are part of something. That's how Golos is really meant legalot, to reveal the connections between us. Okay, so... This is, again, the downside if we don't let Shemitah do it in the way that it's supposed to do. So then we have to do it in that way. Let's try to see how this connects to the world of the Eved Ivri, to the world of this, um, to the world of this man who was sold into that servitude for six years. Now, I will point out, don't get me wrong, I'm not recommending as the great way to connect to your Judaism, to go to India or South America or all these things. A lot of times these stories do not end up with the wonderful connections and sometimes it cannot be good. Okay, so, but a person does have to realize that that is the revealing power of Gauls that's meant to be there. We're speaking specifically here about a Ganav. Okay, as I mentioned in the beginning, a Ganav is not a Gazlan. A Gazlan is a mugger. A goslin comes out in the open, he grabs your wallet, and he runs away. He doesn't have this halacha, that if he doesn't have the money to pay back, Beisdin sells him into servitude. Only the ganav. The ganav stole either without you seeing it, or he embezzled, or some other type of thievery. And as we mentioned, Beisdin optimally sells him to the person who was the victim. So. Why is it we have this particular chumrah for the Ganav? The Tolna Rebbe explained in the following way. That the Ganav is able to convince himself that it's okay. The Ganav doesn't see his victims, right? The Ganav says, okay, you know, this is a rich guy. He's left something out in his backyard. I can take it. Or you'll say the store is so, has so much stuff. Right? Uh, stuff goes bad anyway, I take a little something, and all the different reasons you can justify it because your need is so bad and the other person doesn't need it so much, that's a very great danger, okay? And that has to be corrected. Now, the Shemish Shmuel, the Shemish Shmuel um, brings from his father a deeper level. As we said before, the Jewish people are people of the internal. 
we're people of an internal world. Now, a person who's a Ganav uses Pnimius. He uses the ability to understand somebody in depth, sometimes even to connect to somebody in depth in order to steal. Okay, and this can be an example for other wrong things that are done, meaning some people have the power of understanding others, some people have the power of connecting to others. Some people know how to use things which are hidden, which are pnimi, to their advantage in a bad way. That's what this Ganav has done. A Ganav, it's not just that he sneaks in the dark and gets something. He understands his victim. He understands his patterns. He uses his own internal world of seichel, of intellect and emotion to justify his stealing. To us, that's anathema. This person is a very, very sick Jew. And therefore, what he has to do is what's called a cleanse. He has to do a six-year cleanse. And this is in this world of the servitude which is there. So it's a very, very strange picture. Beisdin, right, drives up in this van. Right? They have this van and they unload this guy who just stood trial for ripping you off. Right? They say, hi, I'd like you to meet Shlomo here. He is going to be with you for six next six years. Okay, here's a little booklet about the halachas of Eved Ivri. And it ain't so easy. Right? It says in the Gemara that hakone Eved Ivri, kone odon ma'atzmo. When you acquire this Eved Ivri, you have just got yourself a master. He is supposed to eat the same food that you and your family eat. He is supposed to sleep on the same type of mattress. And even more so, if there's only one mattress, who gets it? You are the Eved Ivri. He gets it. The Pasuk prefaced, we began that in the Shir, Ochicha Ha'ivri, your brother. He is brought to your house as your brother. This person lost the connection to brotherhood. You are supposed to be treating him as a brother during these six years and waking it up. Now, during his six years, he is an Evid. And this Avdus means that he has to have this cleaning. Miruk is the Hebrew word that he uses, he has to cleanse that whole sense of egotistical, external me, and to somehow connect to the internal panemius that's inside of himself. And that will happen when he gets to the seventh year. It will happen because that's the nature of the Jew. The Shemishmuel brings from his father, he says, it really does not make sense for one person to be an Eved to another person in the same way that part of your body cannot be, not be an evid to another part of your body. It is only because of this world of separation that this person created. So here we get to the idea of the sixes and the sevens. The picture that my wife found to illustrate the shear, a, a three-dimensional cube. Okay, I'm not good with art at all or geometry or any of that stuff. Imagine a three-dimensional cube. It has six sides. Geometrically, there's one point in the exact middle that's the center of that. The six sides represent our externals. The point in the middle, that seventh dimension, is that internal point. That internal point, as I said, is a gateway, a portal to an entire universe of panemius in which we're all connected. After this process of the six years, when the connection is formed between these two people, 
So then his Nakuda Pnimis, his seventh dimension awakens. And when it awakens, he loves this master who was also the victim of his crime. He loves him. And that love, as Chazal say, based on the post, the reflective power of love, his master loves him. To the extent that the Torah tells the master, when you let him go, give him gifts from all the good things that you have. This is something that's meant to be. And we have to know that this exists inside of us. Therefore, said the Zara Kadosh, going back to the Shemesh Mul's original question, what connection can there be between the seventh year, which is the freedom of this Eved Ivri, who was sold for his stealing, and the seventh year of Shemitah? They're different seventh years. One is in the count of Shemitah years. The other one is in the count from the time that he became an Eved. Why would the Zara connect him? He says, because the process is the same. The process in each of them is to shed the externality, to awaken the panemius that's there, and to live and experience the connection that results when that panemius is awakened. That's what we're supposed to be doing and feeling during Shemitah. And that's what we're supposed to be doing and feeling when you have that Evid Ivri and that master. So there are many, many examples when you look at the different sixes and sevens we have in the Torah, this is the power of the weekdays and Shabbos. Okay, Shabbos again is the idea of achtos, those who have a Sfard and say Raza the Shabbos on Friday night. It's all about achtos, right? The oneness which is there that we're tapping into. And it's a fascinating thing. People who are out there in the field have told me that more than any particular lecture or book or anything else, somehow participating at a Shabbos table is what connects Jews to their Judaism and their fellow Jews more than anything else. And we're not talking the Shabbos table of, you know, the greatest tzaddikim in Am Yisrael. Regular folks, right, eating their soup and falling asleep, right, during the Zmiris like regular people. Somehow, right, when a person goes there, because it's the seventh, there's a power of the panemius that is awakened and that connects everyone and that connects us to who we really are. So we're supposed to try to absorb the message of Shemitah, to absorb the message of the Eved Ivri, and you don't have to wait for Shemitah. As we said, Shemitah is that which reveals to us which is really there. You don't have to be sold as an Eved Ivri, but what the Torah taught us in that little scenario that we see, the robber, the victim, one becomes the Evid, the other becomes the Adon, who has to treat him as a brother, and you end up with this love that's there. The Torah is teaching us, you awaken your seventh dimension. You awaken the seventh dimension in somebody else, and then the connection happens. Right? Obviously, people who are familiar with Rav Dessler's famous Kuntra Sachesed can see how the Adon giving to the Evid during those years can awaken the Adon's love for the Evid as well. It's not easy to do. We're in a world which is becoming more external by the minute, right? Even the fact, those of you who've been coming to this year, I feel at least different. It's beautiful having you here on the computer on Zoom, but there's a lot of the connection that's not there, that's not happening. We do have the power to connect even from differences, 
but the world in certain ways is getting more and more and more external. And our feelings for others in Am Yisrael, for events in Am Yisrael, for the Prat or the Klal, as he said, are getting very dim. Our excitement at meeting another Jew, that sense of connection, also fading. The six walls that surround us are becoming more and more solid and strong. That spark in the middle, the seventh, is becoming harder to reach. The fact that we are zochet to be in Eretz Yisrael this year, in a Shemitah year, should be a time that we really focus on it. I'll finish with a story about the Chasm Sofer. I heard from the Talmud Rebbe, read it in a book by a Talmud of the Chasm Sofer. His name was Rabbi Plout, and he wrote some of the memories of his great Rebbe. The Chasm Sofer was the Rav of Preshburg, right, which... People called it Hungary because it was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Now it's in Slovakia, right? We're one of my good friends, Thomas Kluge, if he's listening, right? Comes uh, from there. And um, he was the rov of the town. And like any rov who's worth his salt, sometimes you do face conflict when things aren't the way they're supposed to be. There was a butcher in Pressburg, and he was not following the requirements of the Chasm Sof. The Chasm Sofer warned him. He did not keep up the standards, and the Chasm Sofer removed the kosher supervision from his butcher store. This butcher had a temper, and he let it be known he was going to get revenge on the Chasm Sofer. The Chasm Sofer was also a moil. Okay, he actually kept a, a little diary of every brismila he did. I think it was in the 300s, the brismilas that he did. And um, so one day he got a message from this butcher that he has a baby boy and he would like to invite the Chasm Sofer to please be the moil. So the Chasm Sofer wasn't one to hold a grudge. He took away the man's kosher supervision, but he's still a Jew. He has to have a bris milah for his son. So he packed his bag and he took this student, this Rabbi Plout with him in the carriage that they were riding in a horse and carriage. Now, this butcher didn't live in the town of Pressburg himself. He lived a little bit out of town. At one point on the way to the butcher's house, there was kind of a forest, and there was a one-lane road going through the forest. So they were riding along in the carriage, trees on the right of them, trees on the left of them. And before the end of the road, they noticed the butcher standing there with a couple other men. And they were both, or all three of them, were holding some very large sticks. So this Rabbi Plout said he got very worried. He assumed that the butcher had plotted this so he could come and attack the Chasm Sofer. He looked to the Chasm Sofer, and the Chasm Sofer looked like he was in a trance. So he was thinking, like, what a bad time for the Rebbe to be, you know, thinking about his Gemara. Right? We're in big trouble. So he, like... Says to the Chasm Sofer, he says, Rebbe, um, but the Chasm Sofer, he went, shh. Tried to get him to be quiet. They're getting closer. There was no place to turn around. And he tries to get Rebbe, um, once again, the Chasm Sofer hushed him. So they got up till the butcher. He kind of bashfully put his axe handle behind his back. And he said, um, Rabbi, I, I have to apologize. Um, it was a mistake. There, there's no bris mila today. I appreciate that you came out, but there's no bris mila. 
he stepped aside. They pulled the wagon out into a clearing, turned around and went back. So as they're riding back, this Rabbi Cloud could not help himself. He asked the Chassam Sofer, he said, Rebbe, what, what went on there? Chassam Sofer told him, basically, he says, I'm not stupid. He said, I saw what you saw, and I figured it out probably sooner than you did. There was no place to run. I focused all of my energy on trying to think about what there was to love about this butcher. What there was inside of him, what his connection was to me. And I focused on that. And that melted the hatred that he had and the desire for revenge because my love for him awakened a love inside of himself. He says, believe me, if I would have had a bit more time, he would have hugged me by the time I got to. This is the application of the law of Shemitah that can be there at any time. This is the application of the law of Eved Ivri without having to come into that scenario. And this is what the Torah wants us to be to realize, to recognize that it's inside of us. The seventh dimension is there. We live in that world of the six sides, but the gift that we have is the ticket that always allows us to go in there and then the tremendous universe of connection that we discover inside. Okay, hopefully we'll be able to get together in person, those who are close by at the time, um, next time, but it's been a pleasure. Enjoy the snow if you're in a snowy area and uh, all should be good. Have a wonderful Shabbos.